Hello, Cachimbonas. Welcome to Season 5 of Radio Cachimbona. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist podcast that audio archives state repression and fierce migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case law and politics from a leftist perspective. As a first-generation professional whose parents are Salvadoran immigrants, Yvette prioritizes uplifting the voices and histories of Central Americans. This week, I'm excited to share this interview with Belen Sisa, creator and host of the Pretty Serious podcast and former National Latino Press Secretary for Senator Sanders' presidential campaign. We discuss the history of the DACA movement and Belen's participation in it, the importance of voting in local elections, and why it's important to vote Kirsten Cinema out of office in 2024. Cinema was one of the authors of this awful bill that was just introduced that will destroy asylum in order to fund wars abroad. It's backed by the Border Patrol Union. That's when you know it's bad. So I hope that you all enjoy this episode as timely. You can support the podcast by joining the Patreon. You will get access to dozens of conversations like these, early access to public episodes such as this one, and also exclusive access to the Lit Review, which are book club style chats with other women of color. Most importantly, in supporting the podcast, which involves becoming a monthly subscriber for as little as $3 a month, you can help sustain this podcast. I don't do corporate ad space because I believe that being listener funded allows me to keep the political integrity of the podcast intact. So if you feel what I'm doing and want to support, it would mean the world to me. You can also support in a completely free way by following at Radio Cachimbona on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can also support the podcast by giving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Wanted to really, really quickly just give a shout out to the latest Patreon subscriber, Fernando Marquez. Thank you so, so much for supporting the podcast podcast. If it wasn't for the patrons, like I said, I would not have been in the podcasting game for as long as I have been. So thank you so much. And I hope that you all enjoy this episode. Bye. Hello, Cachimbonas. Today, I am very excited to have Benet Sisa on the podcast. She is an immigrants' rights organizer, the former National Latino Press Secretary for Bernie Sanders, and someone who's very involved in Arizona politics. So very honored to have Belen on the podcast today. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I wanted to have you share your story of getting involved in electoral politics before we get into more of your more recent work. Sure. So I initially started getting involved in the political world through activism. I really like to say that it was because of my own survival, (laughs) mine and my family's and, and my communities that I got involved Uh, When I first started to delve into uh, activism, I had not been involved in politics ever. So I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, I was not part of a political family or I was not in an environment 
that was, you know, involved in that world. I went to high school in Florence, Arizona, which is a conservative small town that I'm sure you're familiar with being from Tucson. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's also home of one of the largest detention centers here in, in Arizona. And so it's such a stark contrast from where I am now to initially where I started when I was 18 years old. And I was just very isolated is the way that I like to describe it. I was not aware or knew people that were undocumented like me. Uh, And I really felt like I had to, in one way or another, live kind of a double life where I couldn't be honest about my story how I came here from Buenos Aires with my parents when I was six years old and, you know, what I was going through. I you know, thought that it was kind of the end for me um, when I reached my high school graduation, which is very sad looking back because that's supposed to be a time where you are just so excited for the future. You are supposed to, you know, be figuring out what you're going to do in life next. And I didn't feel that way at all. I felt like, well, what am I going to do now? I can't apply to college. I can't more than anything afford it. I couldn't get a driver's license. I couldn't get a job. And so that really pushed me um, to, you know, see what was out there um, and to see if there were people like me. And I feel like timing, the timing of the universe just Mm. worked so well Mm -hmm. because in 2012 is when I graduated from high school. And that very same summer is when President Obama uh, made his executive action to put the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program into place through through his executive action, not through Congress. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, as we've seen throughout these last couple of years, the program has been challenged for the reason that it was an executive action and it wasn't meant to be permanent. It was meant to be a temporary solution. And seeing that take place, you know, on the news, I remember so vividly, like me and my mom being in front of the TV and we couldn't believe it. We were like, oh my God, the president of the United States is, you know, putting a program in place that could possibly change my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that pushed me to just get, do some more investigating and how did this happen and what was taking place that brought us here. And that's when I really got exposed to the immigrant rights movement and undocumented young people who were putting their bodies and stories out in in public and risking everything by saying that they were undocumented and that they were unafraid that they also had dreams and they had a right to build a future for themselves and for their families. And I thought to myself, (laughs) what am I doing? You know, I, I can't stand on the sidelines anymore. We just won this amazing victory that was providing work permits for us and was protecting us from deportation. So now more than ever was the moment for me to really put myself out there through organizing and just learning overall, you know, what organizing was and what was possible when you become part of a movement and I always like to say that being out in the open is the safest because Mm. 
because that is that is the way that you will be protected, not only by your community, but also by the public being exposed to your story. Yeah. And to put a human face behind uh, the statistics that you hear on the news every single day. And so ever since that moment, you know, (laughs) I uh, obviously have never left because I'm still here, you know, being more and more involved in, in, in the political world, obviously, but the roots very much started in, in grassroots activism and just being exposed to people like me, to community, to knowing that, um, really the future was in our hands and it was up to us to fight for our future and our community's future because no one else was going to do that for us. President Obama wasn't going to wake up one day and just decide that he felt really bad for undocumented youth. And that's the reason why he was making this action. It was because we put so much pressure on him and on his White House and administration that he felt he had no choice anymore because there were dreamers getting arrested in front of the White House because ICE detention centers were being shut down by undocumented people saying no more. You are a Democratic senator and uh, well, you were a Democratic senator. Now you're a a Democratic president and you said that you stood with us, yet we are seeing Um, one of the highest numbers of deported people under your administration. And um, I always like to give a moment to all the people that we've lost, you know, to get doctored, to get to to where we are now, because, yes, there is bravery, but there were also so many families that were separated before uh, we could get DACA. And even in the year between getting DACA in 2012 and now, obviously, we we had the Trump administration, which was a very difficult time for, for our community. And I think the more and more that I saw before my, my very eyes what was happening, the more I felt a responsibility to not only be involved in activism, but also to try to help people who were on our side, who were allies, get elected and hopefully continue to put our stories into the outside. I like to call it the inside outside strategy where, yes, we have the movement who is pushing from the Mm -hmm. outside and giving Mm -hmm. pressure to what we the kind of change that we want to see. But we also need people on the inside who are going to be advocating for us and also introducing legislation that is life-changing as as we've seen with with DACA but we deserve more and totally. that's that's the reason why I I got involved more on the political end of things but uh, I you know will always have my heart <laughs> in in the community and in where I started because that's the root of of everything. I think if more people were involved in activism before they got exposed to the politics that kind of moves the chessboard, uh, we would all, you know, be a lot more connected to humanity because that happens a lot in politics where, um, you know, these things are debated and talked about, yet it's kind of forgotten 
<laughs> of what the people and the very lives that that are being impacted. Um, so I'm really grateful that that is where I started because it gave me a kind of perspective that maybe I wouldn't have had if I just graduated high school and everything was great and I was able to go to college and didn't really have those struggles because it ended up making me a better person. And I think it allowed me to be able to have more confidence in my own voice. Um, And I'm sure you're going to ask me about this later on, but, you know, that's one of the reasons why uh, I felt really strongly when I worked for Bernie during his last presidential campaign to help put in our voice into the immigration plan that he was going to introduce um, during his presidential run. And I think that is the future (laughs) of policymaking, as it should be the people who are going to be impacted. And my own perspective helped me advocate, you know, for for the larger community and just the larger picture of things. There was a lot of hope. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate you talking about your experience with Bernie Sanders, because that has been that presidential election has been on my mind now Mm -hmm. that I'm thinking more about 2024, because Bernie represented a hope that those on the left would have somebody who, like you said, was policymaking from the ground up, somebody Uh who was having people at the forefront, just, you know, directly impacted people making the policy that impact, have an impact on their communities. And how are you, or are you motivated or inspired by, or not, by what the presidential choices are seem like they're going to be for 2024 and how are you thinking about the election and who to support or how to get involved well i always like to come from a place of honesty and i am not excited for Mm -hmm. who's running for president i'll just be very blunt about that I think, you know, on the Democratic side, obviously, it seems like the candidate has already been chosen, which is President Joe Biden, who has decided to once again run for a second term. And obviously, I'm not going to support Trump because (laughs) I feel like since 2015, a lot of my focus and involvement has been in stopping his presidency, Mm -hmm. holding his administration accountable and very loudly fighting back against his narrative. Mm-hmm. And I think we are seeing a repeat on the Republican side once again of 2016, where there were 20 people running. <laughs> and obviously, we just had a debate not that long ago. I don't know if you watched it, but it's just chaos. <laughs> you can't have that many voices on one side and expect for something good, I think, to come out because there really is no holding those people accountable. It's just kind of like, okay, here's the question. Everyone give me a 30 second answer and then we're going to move on. There's not much challenging mm-hmm. of views, I think. And that's disappointing. Obviously, I think the more competitive an election is, 
usually those are the best ones because mm-hmm. that means that it they pushes the candidates to actually, you know, speak their mind. And if you don't stand where, where, where people are, then you won't be voted for. And yeah. it, sh- it should be that clear, right? But there are so many different aspects, I feel like, that go into an election. And especially here in the United States, it's so much about narrative and who can kind of put on the best show <laughs> uh, as far as, you know, on the Republican side. And the advice that I like to give people, especially when you're conflicted like me, where mm-hmm. you don't really aren't excited about the Democratic candidate. And also, it's like a shit show on the other side. (laughs) So you're just kind of standing there like, well, then what do I do? Because the politics and the the election results will have an impact on my life. Mm -hmm. And the way that I like to look at it is, yes, there's going to be a presidential election, but there's also going to be so many other important local positions that you need to have a voice in, whether that is the this U.S. Senate, which will also be on the ballot next year and is incredibly important because let's say that Joe Biden wins once again. If we want immigration reform, if mm-hmm. we want the Green New Deal, if we want to raise the minimum wage, if we want to make housing more affordable, the Senate is going to have a direct impact on passing all of that legislation. As we've seen over the past four to six years, you know, here in Arizona, we elected Senator Kirsten Cinema. We boo. all thought, <laughs> yeah, seriously, boo. <laughs> we all thought she was going to be an ally and she ended up, you know, playing, doing a catch and bait mm-hmm. and um, completely changing once she was elected in office. And I think that next year is going to be incredibly important in saying, okay, if that's how you want to play, then you're not going to get elected again. Mm. FYI. <laughs> um, and I, I think, especially with that election, her behavior has just been outrageous mm-hmm. and a complete betrayal to the young people, to Latinos who came out in 2000. 18 in droves mm. to support her and she did not win by a lot let's be clear she mm-hmm. it took two weeks to count those votes that right there shows you how important it is to not only um vote for president but also to vote for the other positions that are up and down the ballot whether it's city council your school board uh, because i think in my opinion those positions actually have more of a direct impact on your everyday life than the president will. The president is just, you know, there to push an agenda, his own agenda. And, you know, we can hope to try to put pressure on the White House and to push legislation. But initially, it's going to start here on the ground. Um, And Bernie said it all the time. He said change happens from the bottom up. It never is going to come from those who are in power or those who, you know, are already in a position where they can push their own agenda. It has to come from, from us. And I think the more allies that we have on the inside, like I said earlier, the more influence we are going to be able to effectively push on 
on the inside. And I know that I, I've said this before when we've had a conversation in the past, but I really do wish that our ballots were um were different. I wish that the more local options were at the top of the ballot. <laughs> that mm-hmm. way everyone, you know, could have more of a chance to pay attention to that part. Um and you know, be able to have a voice in those that are in leadership here in our own local communities, because a lot of the issues we're seeing across the country right now with book banning and, you know, the whole thing that happened with COVID at these school board meetings where people didn't want to wear masks Mm -hmm. and... So many, you know, other issues like attacking the LGBTQ plus community are starting at our schools. That right there shows you, you know, how involved we need to start becoming in these local fights, because that's really where it's all stemming from. And a lot of control is being exerted by people who maybe don't have our best interests and just have their own values and agenda that they want to push on people. That's something that I'm adamantly against and has come up over the last couple of years a lot. And I think that's going to be a big issue and it's going to continue to be a big issue in the upcoming years. Because if you do not teach children right in school, the true history of our country, and you don't allow them to um, grow <laughs> by expanding their mind on what has taken place in this country and just in our world, how can we have any, you know, any hope for the future if, you know, our, the local fights are starting from when someone is a child to <laughs> make you think that the history that's being taught is the true history when in reality that's not that's not the way it happened. And I think so much of that comes also from parents getting more involved too and voicing their opinion on what their child should be getting taught. And, you know, it's okay if you want to control your child and not teach him something, but you can't dictate (laughs) what, what an entire, you know, class of students learns as far as in, in getting involved, like, Those are the fights, I think, that are closest to home. And if you have a child or you have a niece or anyone in your family who's of learning age, sometimes it's not the big issues. Sometimes it's it's local fights like that that I think truly inspire people and we should all be paying more attention to because what happens in these schools is ultimately the future of our state. It's the future of our entire country. And those will be the leaders of tomorrow, you know. And I like to tell folks to find an issue that really speaks to them. For me, it was immigrant rights that really lit a fire in me. But there are organizers everywhere. And they're probably incredibly undervalued and a lot of people don't know about them, but they're there. They're in your community. And um, I think a lot of us have to ask ourselves, what do I have to offer rather than go to a movement and say, what can you give me? Um, I think that is the key to truly feeling 
fulfilled and being part of something is when you find something that you're passionate about, an issue, whether that's climate change or immigration or workers' rights, and you figure out what can I do? Um, What talent do I have? For some people, it's art. For some people, it's communications. They're very good at writing. For some people, they're very good organizers. They're good at organizing people and coming up with strategy. So all of us, I think, have something to offer. It's up to us to really figure out what that thing is and start nearest to home. So if you're in Tucson or you're in Phoenix or you're in Flagstaff, there are organizations probably that you don't know about (laughs) that are doing the work that it's going to take for all of us to either win on the election side or win on the policy side when it comes to creating change and having victories through that. But that's the main thing is starting, you know, where you are and not trying to, you know, go (laughs) go to Congress straight away and, you know, try to solve all our problems there because that's the whole other (laughs) (laughs) a whole other world and obviously they have their own issues where um you know we've been at a stalemate for a couple of years at this point and that's why i like to point to the senate because that's where a lot of legislation has been stopped even though we have the majority which is not what should be happening bringing up the ethnic studies fights because that is something that is a crucial part of Tucson's educational history that Uh everyone here needs to know. It was Tom Horn in the early 2010s that tried to take away Mexican-American studies here in the Tucson school district. And these fights matter. MOS was a program that you know, improved graduation rates for Uh students of color, had positive impacts on education in Tucson. I mean, like, had also really important impact that you can't really quantify, like, you know, giving people self-esteem and like, yes, able to learn their own history Uh um, and be proud of that history. And unfortunately, even though this is something that was going on in the 2010s, like Tom Horn ran for superintendent again last year and lost you know which is good but like these fights are ongoing and you know Tom Horn is still around trying to be superintendent again and yes um (laughs) these are the critical races that you said we do need to be focused on even if you've like become super apathetic about the presidential candidates which I understand Uh like you still need to vote for who your superintendent's going to be because that does have critical impact on your kids' lives or, you know, the kids in your life if you don't have kids. And mm-hmm. these are like generational. And the future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like these are generational impacts. It also makes you think, you know, what is the reasoning behind trying to get rid of these programs? Like, what are people who are trying to get rid of these programs so scared of to (laughs) try to teach something that the true history uh, and also of their own communities? If you think back then to, to me when I was in high school in Florence, 
I felt so incredibly isolated because mm-hmm. I was not taught yeah. <laughs> that there were movements out there of undocumented people and that they were fighting for the very thing that I was going through. So I, I, I always think back to that, you know, what is the other side so scared of? And that kind of gives me inspiration in some way to kind of fight back for for those things specifically because it's if they win we don't know right what the future will bring but we know that it won't be good for us and that you know what happened in Tucson is I have many friends you know who came from that that ethnic studies movement Mm -hmm. to later on you know, work to protect voting rights and work for so many other issues, but they were empowered through that ethnic studies program. And so when I think back to why they're getting, why they're trying to get rid of it, it's like they're trying to stop us, right, as a movement. And I think that's why it's, it's so important. Yeah, totally. And I think it's just important to point out, like, how hard people have to work to uphold these heteronormative, mm-hmm. patriarchal ways of understanding the world and racist ways of understanding the world, you know? Like, there's a, a narrative on the right about teaching our children about queerness and like mm-hmm. indoctrinating them in that, when in actuality, like, they're working so hard to keep their children in this bubble um, mm-hmm. where just like any information that contradicts what the narrative that they're trying to teach their children is just ignored mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. you know it's just if that was like the natural right way of things like you wouldn't need to work that hard to quell other types of thought you know exactly yeah I mean I I definitely think that on on the right side politically not the right side but the right yeah yeah (laughs) critical distinction (laughs) they want to be right they're not right but I I mean I think it's almost like a let's ignore all of these horrible things that have happened let's continue to whitewash our history so that we can continue to be in power and nothing changes and we can continue on with our lives without being bothered about you know oh my god immigrant rights like they want rights (laughs) you Mm -hmm, know and it's mm -hmm. like if you were if you were us you would like what does that take away from you <laughs> no, and, and it strengthens I- their worker rights actually, because <laughs> you know, when migrants are exploited, like that also has repercussions for documented folks and their working conditions mm-hmm. as well, you know, and like, their wages. Because yeah. when one person gets paid less for their labor, right. it means the rest of our wages are also going to go down to meet that. <laughs> mm-hmm. meet that basic, you know, standard. And I was actually talking to someone about that very thing with the WGA strikes and, mm-hmm. the, and the actors um, when someone said, you know, well, what about crossing the picket line? Like, what about these people who maybe are, you know, have been waiting for this opportunity and now, you know, they can finally do what they love because, this strike is happening. So who cares if they cross the picket line? And 
the reality is that they're not only causing harm to themselves by crossing the picket line yeah. and getting paid less, but they're harming the entire movement as a as a whole. And I think as far as the right, like that's their goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't want us to realize that in all reality, you're closer to the immigrant than you are to the yeah, CEO. Totally. <laughs> Totally. Uh, or the politician who's trying to tell you that brown people or black people are the problem and that it's not you or that they're taking your jobs when in reality, there is a, a worker need. <laughs> we need labor. And instead of thinking, well, why is that guy taking my job? You know, we should be teaching people in our society to say, well, why? Why are they getting paid less? You know, what is the reasoning behind wanting to continue to exploit someone? It's greed because it benefits those in power. That's I mean, that's ultimately the, the reason why. And that's what we're up against. And the gag is that even though there is this narrative about immigrants taking your jobs, like studies show that actually uh, immigrants are, especially immigrants of color, are concentrated in certain job sectors that U.S. born people deem to be mm-hmm. inferior or like don't want those jobs. They just don't want that. Yeah, they just don't <laughs> want the jobs. And it's literally like it's like caring for the elderly, cleaning houses, mm-hmm. construction, construction, landscaping. Yeah, it's like jobs that are actually necessary. And, you know, we deemed these people essential workers during the pandemic when there was a like moment of recognition with mm-hmm. with no material redistribution by the way it was just like good job yeah um, like they are central to our society and yet u.s foreign people are unwilling to do those jobs and that's mm-hmm. like just like what the real gag is it's just like you know you should thank us for taking care of your elderly mother who's racist mm-hmm. and swears at them <laughs> like or your kids <laughs> or your kids exactly like you know, immigrant, especially immigrant women are playing these fundamental caretaking roles. And instead of gratitude, you know, for that help, it's like, you know, just derision and shit talking. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to point that out too, because like, at this point, like, we just we know that that idea that immigrants are taking your jobs, is just not really a thing. And Mm -hmm. like, immigrants are here working the jobs that US born people do not want. So, mm-hmm. like, please, let's get rid of that narrative. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it but it keeps getting pushed, you know, every yeah. election, like next year in 2024, that's going to be an issue again. And I mean, we even saw it in the last Republican debate that, you know, once again, the narrative that happened in 2016 of they're taking your jobs, they should do it the right way, they should right. get in line, they should do this. And I, I listened to that and I'm like, but what? are you doing to make our country better? (laughs) Like, like, why are you talking about immigrants? Like, they're not the problem, you know, but that is going to be their narrative. And I think it's going to be up to uh, the voters. I would like to call on, you know, white people specifically Mm -hmm. to step up here because this is your people. Yeah. (laughs) Like, these are your people who are pushing this narrative. It's not the immigrants. It's not 
brown or black people they they want brown or black people to go against immigrants um rather than the real problem which this happens every single election it happened you know in 2000 it's it happened in 2016 and that's one of the reasons why when people call you know refugees a crisis i'm like this has been happening for years i don't understand why you say that this is a crisis when we're actively pushing policies that are making people want to come here for their own safety and their own lives no one wants to leave home nobody nobody wants to leave home and I i think that's why i say you know it's white people's responsibility at this point because we are your friends we are your neighbors we are your co-workers we're all around you and this country could probably not function if it weren't for us mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's up to white people to check other white people when it comes to this and to you know say no you're wrong like what you're saying is factually inaccurate actually uh and especially as we're getting closer to the election we know it's only gonna get worse and worse that's what happens every single election unfortunately immigrants and other minority communities are used as like this pawn and narrative Mm -hmm. rather than people that these politicians should be serving because at the end of the day who do you think is voting for you (laughs) it's very hard for me to you know under understand that but at the end of the day it's it's divide and conquer right it's like the oldest rule in the book is if I divide these people then they'll fight amongst each other rather than see that I'm the problem (laughs) Mm-hmm. That we should probably rise up against, you know, those who are in power positions. I, I think it'll be really interesting um, to see, at least on the Republican side, you know, how this primary goes on the presidential side. But it does set the tone for the entire election. So I think, you know, it's up to us to ask those questions, whether it's a local school board member or city council or a senator to make these issues that we care about campaign issues. One issue that I feel really strongly about and over the last couple of years, like two to three years, it's been ending the filibuster, ending or reforming it. I think that it's undemocratic. For those who don't know, you know, what the filibuster is, it was a Senate rule that originally started to stop anti-lynching legislation. Think about that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how horrible that is. Mm -hmm. And that is the root of this rule. It's basically to stop progress by forcing there to be a 60 vote threshold in the Senate to pass any legislation. So right now our Senate is 50-50. So we have, or it was 50-50 because our, one of our current senators decided to be an independent, but whatever. <laughs> um, who was that? Oh, that- I, I wonder who, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's cinema, uh, you know, in between her internships to, you know, become a wine master and running marathons, she suddenly decided to become an independent. Oh, um, right, right. <laughs> I guess as someone who has worked within the Democratic Party and as someone who's admitted that they're not excited by the Democratic candidate that's going to be put forth as president. And honestly, the one that's likely going to be put forth 
for Senate as well in Arizona because the Dems are very loyal internally. And well, actually, now that she has declared herself independent, what does that mean? Like, are the Dems going to run someone else? So as of now, there is someone who is challenging Senator Cinema. It's okay. It's Congressman Ruben Gallego, who is oh, a Democrat. Right, right. Um, and, you know, over the last two years, internally, there has been a push by the Progressive Caucus inside of the Democratic Party to pass a resolution to basically say in the bylaws that if you change your party like cinema has and you don't support ending or reforming the filibuster, then the party will basically have a vote of no confidence and Mm. will not support her. Um, Yes. So I think that was a great move on, on their part. I know very many of the people who helped in that effort. Now it's, you know, a game of will they follow through? Mm -hmm. I would certainly hope that they would because there is an actual Democrat running against her. Yeah. Uh, But weirder things have happened. Mm. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of money involved. I know that at this point, you know, Senator Sinema has really burned a lot of bridges within the party Mm. and just generally with the public. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard for me to believe that she would want to run. But there is one reason that she could be running. And uh, there have been polls that have come out over the last couple of months based on the three-way race. So Ruben Gallego, Cinema, and I think they used Carrie Lake as like a possible candidate to see how where people stood. And she basically has, she being Cinema, has no pathway to victory. If she were to run at this point, it would just be taking votes away from Ruben Gallego. Mm. It would not take votes from Carrie Lake, who would be the the possible Republican candidate, which means that once again, she has more power than she should. And it's basically sabotage, I think, at this point, if, if she were to run, because it would put Ruben Gallego at a tie basically, based on the poll that I saw. And I just don't think she could win as an independent. I mean, there's a reason why she decided to be an independent. It's because the Republicans, as much as she wants to be chummy with them, Mm -hmm. will never accept her. Mm -hmm. She is a bisexual who, you know, dresses funky and does weird stuff. And if they have to pick between her and one of their very loyal people who might want to be the candidate exactly (laughs) they're not going to choose her so it's a very strange situation i know that as a movement uh, a progressive movement here in in arizona we are trying to do as much as we can to ensure that she doesn't run that she knows you won't have the support and Mm -hmm. it's in your best interest to not run but every single time we've pushed her you know, I'm sure you probably saw the picture where we were pushing her on uh, raising the minimum wage and she wore a ring that said, fuck you oh, wow. and, and took a picture with it, basically saying, like, I don't care. 
Right. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. And she's continued to do that with her actions. And if that's her attitude, you know, maybe she's going to try to say fuck you to us by running. Uh, So it's it's a really unique, I think, uh, race. And it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening before the end of this year, because that would be the ideal time for her to either say she won't run Mm -hmm. or she will. But I mean, she is a case study, I think. Um, Her her entire Senate uh, career has been so strange. The things that she's done have been completely unprecedented. And I've never like. I used to protest against Senator Jeff Flake, who was a Republican, and I felt more respected by him than by her. Wow. So that tells you a lot. <laughs> Where what is her political history? Where did she come from? So Senator Cinema originally was actually a member of the Green Party. Okay. So she was very much on the front lines of wanting to fight against climate change. And when SB 1070, uh, the show me your papers law was passed here in Arizona, she was one of the people that was against it because she did start her career in the state legislature. She was actually a state senator with our current governor, Katie Hobbs. And from then on, it's it's like a switch flipped. I feel like she was Green Party. She then became a Democrat. But you could see in her votes and her decisions that she slowly started to drift to the right or at least to the middle to kind of try to please people. And I think that's when it all went downhill because she started being exposed to, you know, big donors and seeing that she could get away with more if she stood in the middle. And it's a very extreme transformation in my mind Mm -hmm. to go from a Green Party person to a complete corporate Democrat to then an independent where no one can guess (laughs) what it is that you're going to do next. And she relishes in that. She loves it. She loves to have the attention. Even when she decided to become an independent, it it was right after Senator Raphael Warnock's victory in Georgia. Mm. We couldn't even celebrate that because she mm-hmm. had to have all the eyes on her at, because all of a sudden the news cycle switched from Raphael Warnock won Georgia to Senator Kirsten Cinema is going to be an independent now. <laughs> and and so that's why I say that she's a case study because it's yeah. kind of going from one extreme to the other where you used to be a Green Party member, used to be an anti-war activist against the Iraq war. Mm. Um, where you like, accept oil money. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, exactly. And um, most recently, I don't know if you saw, but she has been receiving donations from the private detention industry. Oh, no. She received $5,000 from CCA. (laughs) I'm surprised Uh, they weren't giving her that before, honestly. But I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, But that shows you kind of like the puppet strings of what's Mm -hmm. happening on on the background. And I mean, it's no wonder she won't even take a meeting with us anymore. Yeah, it's because she's too busy. (laughs) She's too busy meeting with the Chamber of Commerce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
been arrested for doing civil disobedience around the DREAM Act. What advice do you have for undocumented folks who are interested in engaging in civil disobedience with the risk of arrest? Hmm. I would say, first and foremost, be sure that this is something that you're being called to do. Mm. When I made the decision, it was because... I knew in my heart that at the point where I was at, which was under the Trump administration, he had just gotten rid of or tried to get rid of DACA, the DACA program. And so I felt I no longer had anything left to lose. If I wasn't going to be able to work or to be protected from deportation, well, then like, what more can you do to me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at that point, that's kind of where where I felt. And if there was any moment where I would put everything on the line, it was that moment. And the advice that I would give to, to those who are thinking about doing it is just make sure that it's coming from your own passion and your own heart. Don't let other people push you into something that you're not sure about because there are consequences. You know, I don't want to say that, you know, it was all like dandy and great uh, because you you are in jail. So first and foremost, (laughs) first and foremost. So I would say definitely try to mentally prepare yourself to and know what you're getting yourself into. Like what will be the charges? How long am I going to be in jail? How will this impact, you know, if I apply for DACA or if I have to go through some other kind of immigration process? Because this will, depending on what the charges are, may be on your record. It depends. I got arrested in D.C. and they just made me pay a fine and they Mm -hmm. let me go. Mm -hmm. But the second time I got arrested, I was in jail for a week. That was, you know. A whole different story. And I did that willingly because Mm -hmm. uh, we did a jail strike. So a a lot of it, I think, too, um, that's important to know is I didn't just like wake up one day, like the group that I got arrested with didn't just wake up one day and was like, let's just get arrested. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There's intentionality and community organizing around it to make a point. Yes. So there was intentionality and there was a strategy behind Mm -hmm. it. And we got a lot of our inspiration from the uh, civil rights lunch counter uh, actions that happened in the South in the 1950s and 60s. And we learned a lot from the civil rights movement on how to do nonviolent civil disobedience. Mm -hmm. And the strategy is is everything. What are your demands? What do you want to get out of this? And never do it alone, (laughs) I would say. Like there was an entire team outside of the jail of our allies and fellow undocumented organizers who were advocating for us on on the outside. So always make sure that you know you have community and you have a team behind you because they're going to be the ones who are pushing your story while you're inside. They're going to be the ones who are advocating for you and your rights while you're inside. And just make sure that you know your reason for doing it. Because if you know that you're on the right side of history and that what you're doing matters and will will make change in one way or another, there's no one who can tell you (laughs) that what you're doing is wrong. 
Right. Because maybe some people will be unhappy. But would you go to the people who are in part of the civil rights movement and tell them that they shouldn't have gotten arrested? There's it's some people a- who would, but <laughs> no, I'm but sure there is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there is. But like that, I guess that that's my example to folks. Like if you do get pushback. Right. Just know like you're on the right side of history. You're fighting for more people to have justice and to have equal rights. And in the future, like you're probably going to be a hero. <laughs> you yeah. shouldn't expect that. But like eventually history is going to catch up with you. Yeah. And if you are strong in your reason why, if you have your strategy and you know that this is something that's important for you to do, then you you will never have regret you will never you know feel like hey you know that maybe that was a mistake because ultimately like maybe you might not see results right away um I know you know I got arrested for the dream act we still don't have a dream act but that doesn't mean that the pressure that was put on these political leaders didn't make a difference for the future because as we've seen like people got arrested for DACA people got arrested for immigration reform people have been getting arrested for clean dream act and eventually like we're gonna get there it's just it's gonna take time unfortunately it shouldn't have taken (laughs) this long it's been over 20 years since the original dream act was Uh, introduced. And I think that's why, you know, on your off years, (laughs) off years of elections, like that's, that's what we all need to be doing. Maybe not civil disobedience, but we do need to be organizing and we do need to be holding the people we elected accountable because it doesn't just end on election day. I wish. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, So the last question that I've been asking folks this season is what is something that has been inspiring you lately something that has been inspiring me a lot lately has been the labor and climate movement uh i think that those are two very important issues that in the future if we don't have a planet and if we don't have workers rights we are not going to be able to um, progress as as a society and the quality of life that we will have will not be what we deserve. If we don't have a planet, there's not much else that we can fight for. And so when I see young people all over the world, you know, doing civil disobedience, <laughs> some of them have done some very um, controversial actions like, yeah. you know, <laughs> pouring paint on, on art <laughs> and Uh, When I see people get mad at that, I'm like, they did exactly what they were supposed to do because everyone is talking about the fact they just put their bodies on the line. And this was part of also my journey is what more do we have to lose? If we don't have a planet, what do we have? The art's going to. (laughs) The art's going to. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So when I see young people, you know, fighting to to have a union like the Starbucks workers are doing. And I see young people putting their bodies on the line. Uh, It gives me so much hope and inspiration that um, one, that I'm not alone 
<laughs> that we're not all alone, that there are people that care and that it's going to be a long journey. I feel like I'm 29 right now and I, if I'm honest, am pretty tired. I think that politics is something that burns you out very quickly yeah. and to get those reminders from young people, from activists, even from the older generations who have been doing this for decades. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me think like, I I can't give up. Right. I can't give up. We can't give up. It's going to be a long road. If you need to rest, rest. Mm -hmm. But also know that there's other people fighting and that they need you there too. And Maybe if you're tired, you know, you let people fight for you for a little while, but just make sure that you come back, right. <laughs> you, you join, you know, whatever movement it is that you are a part of at the end of the day, we're all interconnected. If we don't have a planet, we won't be able to fight for any of the other issues. If, you know, we don't have labor rights, it's pretty hard to fight for other issues in your own personal life. And just, Yeah. I think that's what inspires me the most is, you know, that I know I'm not the only one. So, right. But then thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing your experience with activism, electoral politics, giving us your insights. And um, I hope to have you on the podcast again soon. There'll be much to discuss <laughs> for <around> election <laughs> time. Yes, yes. This is not even close to over. I appreciate you having me on so much. Uh, it was a great conversation. And I did want to plug in in case anybody wants to follow me. It's just my name on all social media platforms. So Belen Sisa. Perfect. Okay. Bye, Kachimbonas. Thank you for listening to Radio Kachimbona. Radio Kachimbona is an abolitionist podcast hosted and produced by Yvette Borja. The audio archives state repression and fierce migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case law and politics from a leftist perspective. Yvette also prioritizes uplifting the voices and histories of Central Americans as a first-generation professional whose parents are Salvadoran immigrants. Again, if you all love this episode and want to support the podcast, becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Radio Cachimbona is the best way to do so for $3, $5, or $10 a month. You get early access to episodes like these or exclusive access to the Lit Reviews, which are book club style chats. Also, another amazing, super, super, super helpful way to support the podcast is to leave a review and rating wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leaving ratings and reviews really helps podcast with visibility. Thank you all so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. Bye, Kachimbonas! <laughs>